Hi, I'm Alicia Atchison. I'm vegan, an animal lover, and animal rights activist. Many people say that becoming vegan is one of the best decisions they have made in life. I'm here to share my guest stories on their choice to live a kind life and what it means for them to be vegan. Welcome to A Kind Life. Today I'm joined by Phoebe. How are you going, Phoebe? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So I do like to mention how I know people and we have had Crystal, a previous guest on the podcast, and I'm, I'm sure at some point we're going to get to exactly how you guys know each other, but I did meet you through Crystal and I'm very grateful that we've crossed paths and to have you on the show today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. So I guess, Phoebe, for anyone who doesn't have the pleasure of knowing you, tell us a little bit about yourself and I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot in this too because I've only met you in the last few months. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a vegan, an animal lover, an activist. I am what I refer to as a collector of rescues. So I have a lot of animals. I have three dogs, three cats, two cows, two lambs, I think 12 chickens. Um, I'm sure there's ones I've missed, but um, yeah, I I definitely can't say no. So my little rescue sanctuary at home is growing every day well I'm sure we're going to get at some point to the stories of your rescue animals so I won't get into that now but for you I'm guessing like probably your vegan journey came first before you got involved in rescue is that right yeah so I guess my story is probably a little bit unique in the sense that I when I was I guess three or four my mum I was raised in a single child's only parent environment and my mum used to volunteer for wires which people who don't know is um, like a native rescue in predominantly in New South Wales so they rescue all of the Australian natives from possums to birds to you know everything in between Um, and so I grew up in a house of chaos so We not only had, I think at the time, four corgis who were all rescues. Um, We also had like a box with, you know, baby lorikeets in them that we had to feed every four hours or possums in like, you know, who were rehabilitating from dog attacks or being hit by cars. Like there was always a lot of animals in the house. And I guess growing up in that environment, I had huge empathy for animals. And I remember when I was probably 14 saying to my mum one day like I'm not eating meat anymore I don't want to eat meat and I remember the first thing she said bless her heart she's vegan now but the first thing she said to me was well I'm not cooking you two dinners like I'm I refuse you know if you want to do that that's fine you need to find what's in the fridge you need to cook it yourself and I wish I could say that that lasted longer than it actually did but it probably only lasted about six months and then I kind of went back into it and then a few years later it's going to show my age and it's probably a bit embarrassing to admit but I stumbled upon Freely the Banana Girl and that whole tribe of um, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with them but they used to go to Thailand and have these like big vegan gatherings of like social media influencers I guess so it was like Bonnie Rebecca and I think high high carb Hannah. Um, there was a whole bunch of them, and I got absolutely obsessed obsessed with you know that whole lifestyle. And like from that, I went raw vegan from like eating meat again. And um, then 
did raw till four and eventually settled into just a very normal, basic uh, vegan diet where I wasn't doing anything creative. Um, and yeah, so it started from there. And then obviously my mum came onto the bandwagon as well because she realised how important it was and through all of the rescue that we used to do through wires and then you know we volunteered for the writing for the disabled and um, the animal welfare league so we were always involved with animals and I think you know it just clicked for her as well that this is where we should be we should be eating a vegan diet we shouldn't be contributing to anything that hurts or harms animals because to us they are like family we grew up with so many of them so yeah, it's, I, I, I distinctly remember also having possums and joeys. Um, I'm not sure if you know how joeys are raised, but they've got to replicate a, a pouch. So you've got to essentially have a pouch-like pillowcase. And we used to hang them on the back of doors. So we used to have them around as well. But, yeah, I think through those animals, they really open your eyes to the fact that, you know, how can you be contributing to something that, harms them and also love them so yeah it was a big you know alarm bells for us and yeah that's where my vegan journey started (laughs) and at what point did you kind of I guess move from that sort of looking after or helping volunteering rescuing um kind of wild animals to then thinking oh there's the connection between farmed animals and wanting to help them yeah so I grew up as a city girl most of my life and Probably around the age of 26, my mum decided one day to up and move to Byron, like around Byron, Byron Bay, um, hinterland. And we lived in a very like city, you know, bus comes to your door, like super convenient. You can get anything you need any time of day to then a place where we were on five acres and we didn't even know how to use a ride on mower. So, um, we started with the Riding for the Disabled up here, volunteering, and I adored horses already. And for me, I hadn't quite made the connection between riding horses and being vegan. So that was a huge thing to me that I realised after volunteering for them for two years that it wasn't something I wanted to, to not because it's not a worthy cause, it absolutely is, but I just realised that, you know, anything to do with with animals that put them in in a position where they were exploited I didn't want to be part of so we moved on to actually see on Facebook uh, on a local community group that a sanctuary called Alan the Pussycat was um, asking for for help for cows and I had never it's embarrassing to admit but I have never even been closer than you know a paddock away from a cow. I had absolutely no understanding of what it was to look after them, you know, what they needed. Like to me, they were just something that, you know, they're in paddocks and that was that was my extent with them. So when I started down there, I um, was able to start bottle feeding calves. And to me, it was like this instant like love. Like I absolutely fell in love with them. Like their huge eyes and their eyelashes and their big noses and like everything about them was just like divine. Like it was just like I'd found my like soul animal, I guess you would say. Um 
And yeah, we, we started doing a lot of volunteering then. And then it turned into there was another organization that was working out of there called Till the Cows Come Home. And um, they ended up moving to our property to become the first foster station um, for the organization. And um, yeah, we rescued, oh gosh, it would be at least 100, 200 calves and thousands of ex-battery hens that were rescued from caged farms, organic farms, all sorts of different farms that classify themselves, you know, as the more ethical of egg choices um, and, and also the battery hens that, you know, they come in the worst conditions I've ever seen any animal in. And, yeah, so that that's what started on our property and um, it was just a massive chaos of, calves and animals and driving seven hours like every weekend to go and rescue an entire trailer load of calves or an entire trailer load of chickens and I'm talking like 200 chickens bringing them home you know treating them for some of them had pneumonia that most of them had had been de-beaked um their wings had been clipped yeah just awful conditions and yeah that's that sparks I guess my like connection with farm animals like straight away from that I just you know when you see them when you actually have the privilege of rescuing them and rehabilitating them you see how much damage we our choices have made to them to their bodies to their mothers to their you know to to all aspects of their life you can really see it when it's right in front of you that this is a direct impact of my choices this animal is in this state because I made the choice to consume eggs. This animal is without a mother because I made a choice to consume dairy. Like it, it is an instant spark. So, um, yeah. And so you said like you obviously started with the volunteering at Alan Pussycat before you became the foster station. Was it a bit of a crash course in terms of learning how to care for calves and then being able to do it at your own property? Yeah, absolutely. So, they have the most beautiful, if anyone's ever in, in Byron, I would absolutely recommend they have some amazing events on and they have a beautiful, I think it's 100 acres in the Byron hinterland. Yeah, when we went out there, it started off as they had um, a rescue herd of cows and this is a family herd. So there were mums and babies and aunts and sisters like it was absolutely beautiful to witness because you know you it's not something that is common to see you know on beef farms maybe you see you see more babies feeding from mums but definitely not dairy cows and these cows you know they had some of them had two-year-old babies who were still happily feeding from mum and you know it was such a beautiful relationship between them because even all the other adult cows would go in and take a sneaky drink from whatever mum who had a baby like it really was like a family like they all shared everything they all looked after each other's babies it was really beautiful but we mostly did the chickens and there were some ducks and the calves so the calves was like my absolute crash course I had no idea anything to do with calves like even bottle feeding like it's embarrassing to admit now but when you hold their bottle you know I would go up and hold it so it was like this 
and it'd be like well you know someone would say Phoebe you can't hold it like that like it needs to be tilted like they can't drink the milk of it I had no idea I had absolutely no clue what to do and you know it started off where it was under supervision and then it was like okay on Fridays Saturdays Sundays and and Thursdays you're going to go out to the sanctuary you're going to find there was three babies at that time the three calves and feed them for their nighttime feed and yeah, it was just insane because it's this beautiful 100 acres and they were in this big paddock and I remember one of the calves missing one day and he'd just hidden behind like a little little hill um, on the property but I was absolutely panicking because I'm thinking, oh, my God, this little calf, he's going to die, he's missing a bottle, like, you know, you just like freak out and then the next morning this little thing is just standing there like, oh, I'm hungry, like where's my bottle, you know. So it was definitely like a baptism of fire, but probably nothing compared to when we were fostering on our own property because, like I mentioned earlier with our rescues, we were very much the same with fosters. So saying no was not something that we did very often. So it resulted in a few times having up to 15 calves on our property and these are all between newborn to a week two weeks old so at that time they required three feeding three times a day so morning lunchtime night and then also like if they needed medication or probably too much information for most listeners but if they needed their bottoms cleaning like everything so it was it was absolutely insane because we'd have to do it in like three calves at a time because otherwise they would fight like they would literally bunt each other's heads off the teats and bunt you if you weren't looking or you bent bent over and you were weren't paying attention but you know it was such a rewarding role like everything I did that was connected to the animals was incredibly rewarding because they you know they have so much to give like they're just I can't explain it it's it's something that, you know, I hope everyone has an opportunity to experience. It's very similar to dogs. So, you know, most people can relate to that. You've rescued a dog from, you know, the RSPCA or, or a local pound or on Facebook, like the, there's, you know, multitude of ways that you might have rescued. But you see this animal transform from something that was once hesitant or skittish or nervous to then this animal that, like, wants your attention that thrives off your affection that has so much intelligence and it's not something that people really consider when they think of cows but it's you know it it, when you actually see it it really just it clicks in your mind and you go like okay yes these animals can grow up to a thousand kilos but they also have a very similar mentality to a dog to a cat to you know any rescue like there is this huge appreciation that they show through you know your rehabilitation with them and it's it is the gift that they give you for all the energy and love that you give to them it's so special yeah I think and like you said you know we we haven't all been lucky enough to be around cows or calves and so when you do have that opportunity yeah you really get to know the individual personalities and like all these things you were saying that we would never have known about like how to feed them or how to do certain things so it is yeah (laughs) 
And at, at what point, I guess, did you kind of then, yeah, move on from that kind of fostering role and then looking into being able to do something a little bit different and have, I suppose you could say, like your own organisation? Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I started as like a full-time volunteer for Till the Cows Come Home and that actually developed into a role within the organisation, which was Um, an animal rescue coordinator and foster carer coordinator. So I looked after all of the foster carers around Australia and coordinated all the rescues. So I reached out to the farms and organised, you know, someone to go and collect the calves that they, you know, they didn't want or that, you know, they'd reached out to us to to say that they needed us to collect or, um, you know, there was a whole different multitude of ways where calves came to us and so I would get them into care and then support the carer through so helping them with what to do when there's a sick calf you know being there for them when um, unfortunately if if any of their rescues had to be put down so it was it was such an incredible role and I think I hadn't realized because growing up you know being vegan and having a community of people who really cared about animals wasn't something that was familiar to me apart from my mum but we definitely felt like outsiders you know my my dad bless his heart he tries but you know he calls calls us vegans like he can't even get the word right so there is a level there where you know being involved in that community of people who will drop everything to go just like me drive seven hours to go and pick up a calf or a chicken or a goat or a lamb like that to me it it was I absolutely loved being in that that environment and the foster carers were such incredible people like talk about huge hearts like honestly they they would do anything to to help animals they'd stay up through the night they do you know whatever it took to get this animal to a point where they were healthy enough to then um, be able to be rehomed into a loving home so that that to me was like my special place I found so much magic in that role and that's when I met Crystal who actually had come on as a foster carer and um, was the only foster carer in Tasmania poor thing so she was down there you know, rescuing from dairy farms. And after a while she moved on and she started an organisation called Companion Cows, which I followed her um, not long after she started it and absolutely fell in love with with the idea. So it essentially was an organisation that was dedicated exclusively to cows. So Till the Cows Come Home, was a rescue organisation, but it was dedicated to all farm animals. So as much as calves were rescued, there were also, you know, goats and lambs and chickens. And to me, that that special bond was always with cows. So it was like a heart choice, you know, to, to be to be in a place where I could live cows all day, every day. So, um, yeah, I followed her over and I became a co-founder with her. So we do it together, her from Tassie me from New South Wales and, you know, we've been friends for must be nearly three years now and because we live on like nearly opposite sides of Australia, we've never met. So we've been through so many emotionally, you know, driven moments where we're crying on the phone because a calf has passed away or, 
you know, we need support from each other to then running an organisation, a not-for-profit organisation, you know, completely opposite ends of the world or of Australia. Um, So, yeah, Companion Cows was entirely a heart project and, you know, we wanted to focus on the calves' stories because they have so much to, to share with us. They have so much to tell you know from the minute that they're rescued their story is important and we we hope that it raises awareness for people who maybe don't understand the dairy industry because it is it is a hard industry to understand um it there's a lot of smoke and mirrors there's a lot of things that I guess aren't blatantly obvious to people and you know to to this day I still have people saying Oh, I I had no idea that that cows had to be pregnant to to give us milk. Like I just thought that they just gave us milk. And you know, I think that what companion cows does is really important to remind people that there is a story there and a story that people should know. People should know before they go to the supermarket and pick, you know, a two liter thing of milk off the shelf because the, there are mothers who every year have their babies taken from them. There are mothers who don't even get the opportunity to feed their babies. And I know a lot of human mothers could, you know, connect with that story and feel that the heartstrings break, even thinking about that with your own baby. And I I understand that people don't necessarily have the appreciation for cows that I do, but, you know, when you think about it, there is so much that relates us to cows. We have a nine-month gestation. They have a nine-month gestation. They also go through hours of painful labour, mostly, you know, if ever with pain, with any pain relief. The only difference is that they get minutes or hours with their calf before they're taken away. And that is purely to then, you know, for the mother to be milked, to provide milk for you know human babies or human adults and I just think it's something that people either don't know or they really don't make the connection so I think it's I think it's really important and you know through companion cows I hope that we can keep telling those kinds of stories and you know for people who are in the market to rescue we also are able to provide uh, rescue calves who um, you know could do with a beautiful forever family who can appreciate where they've come from and you know get to experience the same joy that I get from seeing them every day from seeing how incredible they are and how much they grow and how big their personalities are and how different their personalities are they're not the same at all like they are just like us totally different there are social ones, there are antisocial ones, like all spectrums. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's something that I kind of notice is like a bit of a point of difference with companion cows is that, yeah, like obviously there's the rescue and the rehoming side of things, but there is a big focus on the education and and trying to get people to a point where they understand, yeah, the dairy industry and also like the, the decisions that they're making, the choices they're making, the impact they have. And then that next step of like, you know, you've even got like a guide on your website about like how, you know, how to ditch dairy and things. So it's kind of like you're trying to kind of, I suppose you could say close that loop it's not just one part of the dairy of a dairy cow story it's kind of the whole the whole lot yeah absolutely advocacy is 
a huge part of, you know, I think any any organisation, any sanctuary, any charity, I think that advocacy and volunteers are really the heart and soul of an organisation because they they tell, you know, the audience, they tell a huge story about why these animals are so special and the calves that come into care, they have names, they have stories, they they are victims of an industry that they didn't choose to be born into. And I think it's really important for people to remember that because they're blameless in this, but they are the victims of our choices, as are their mothers. So, yeah, I think, I, I hope that, you know, through Companion Cows people are able to make that connection and if not, get some support because it doesn't matter where you are on your vegan journey, even if you're at the very beginning, like, you know, whatever information or support that we can provide is is important because it's we want to support people through every step it's you know we understand that it's it takes a long time for some people it's not an overnight thing where you just make a connection and you know hey tomorrow I'm going to be vegan some people it takes years and that's okay but it's also important that you know you're making yourself aware of how your choices impact the animals and for us it's specifically cows and there's there's a lot that you can change in your choices that shows cows that you care that shows mothers that you know their fight every day on a dairy farm it means something like even though we don't know their names even though they might not have names that we see them we see everything they go through we, we know that, you know, there are babies each year that they have to, you know, be forcibly taken from. It it just, it makes it, you know, it, it, I feel like people can really understand it if they are able to educate themselves on what happens in the dairy industry. And at what point did you decide to, I suppose you could say, yeah, adopt two, your two cows that you now have? Like tell us their stories. My two rescues are Missy and Bart, so they're about to celebrate their first birthday in a month. So I um, I got a call from a dairy farmer last year, a few weeks or two weeks away from Christmas, um, and it was at the time when I had just left till the cows come home and I was just coming on in companion cows. And the farmer had called me and said um, that he had two calves and they were twins um, and that if I wanted to get them, then I had to come the next day. So I remember stressfully calling Crystal saying, okay, I know I've just come on, but is it okay if I get in my car and drive seven hours and pick up two newborn calves? And of course she being as crazy as me said, yes, go get them, go get them. So at that time our trailer was out of operation. So I had no clue what to do, but I bought a giant tarp. I filled the back of my car full of hay, put down the back seats and drove to the farmer's house. So he had been, I'd been working with him for three years, taking all of his, um, all of his calves. So he was a relatively small dairy farm. He only had 50, you know, mothers that had calves each year. So we were able to take all of them and rehome them. And yeah, I showed up at his house. He thought I was crazy as anything, like, you know, harmless, but absolutely nut job crazy. And didn't even bat an eyelid when I opened the boot and said, they're going to come in here. Like, we're going to put them in the boot. So we put them in and they were the tiniest things ever because they, you know, they had to share the same space. So 
they were probably the size of like a a beagle, like a, a dog, a beagle dog. And they were so, so cute. Like Missy had a beautiful love heart on her forehead and they're just like, if anyone's ever met jerseys, you just know it's all about the eyelashes, these giant eyelashes. They are so like, oh, they're so cute. So um, I put them in the car and straight away I had like already got a playlist of classical music and I played that and the whole drive home they were sleeping curled up in the back of my car listening to classical music, just like absolutely oblivious to the fact that if I had been there a day later that they would have unfortunately been shot because that was the farmer's, that's how the farmer um, chose to get rid of any bobby calves. So, yeah, it, it just, yeah, crazy to think that that could have been their outcome if I hadn't been able to to get in my car or, you know, if something had happened. But, um, yeah, I got them home and I hadn't decided to adopt them at that time um, because we'd fostered hundreds of calves. Like it was something that I guess in some ways people probably couldn't relate because the second you get a calf, you're like, I want to keep it, I want to keep it. But we had desensitised ourselves from that because we were on a smaller acreage, not really suitable for cows, and we knew that we could do more fostering than we could ever by adopting. So I hadn't even considered it. And at the time, you know, moving over into companion cows, I I kind of planted the seed with Crystal that I think these two are kind of special and she was a really bad influence. So straight away she was like, keep them, keep them, keep them. So after persuading my mum into it, we decided to keep them. And it was probably very lucky that it was two weeks before Christmas because it's not an ideal time to rehome. People are spending money on presents and, you know, food. And so, yeah, we unfortunately had to keep them. Um, but it, it, they did come with, you know, a few challenges. Being twins, it's quite rare for cows. Unlike, you know, lambs and um, goats and sheep, they, you know, they have multiples quite frequently. Twins is quite rare. Triplets is even more rare. And it's very, very rare for both twins and mum to survive. So when we got Missy home, the female, she unfortunately had issues that required surgery. So because she's a, a female twin, she is classified as a waste product of the industry because she is infertile. So any female twin, mostly when they are a male-female twin, but a lot of farmers, just as a rule of thumb, even if they're female-female twins, they will not keep them in their stock because there is a like 97% chance that they will be infertile. So they're known as free, free mums. Um, so she unfortunately had some pretty major reproductive issues. So I think it was about two days before Christmas, we had to race her down to the vet and she had to have surgery literally on the lawn, the front lawn of the practice, because this is, you know, it's not, it's probably pretty uncommon for, vets to take in calves like it's not it's an environment where it's not really suitable with dogs in the waiting room and cats and chickens and you know all sorts of things guinea pigs so yeah she thankfully they were able to to correct it and she is fine but yeah they they're now 
yeah, nearly one, and I still love them to bits. They definitely have their moments. So they're at that teenage stage where they um, are a bit mean sometimes, um, but I still love them. They have very unique personalities. So Missy is like the biggest smoocher you can imagine. She is so gentle and she's actually the biggest twin. So Bart was was smaller so he's significantly smaller than her but he's still the boss he's the bully so she's always trying to sneak in moments where she can you know lay her head in my hands and get a chin scratch and you know in the paddock she'll just like completely doze off while you're just brushing her whereas he he hasn't found that nice settled stage yet I know he will but he hasn't found it yet so he's actually quite um yeah he's quite mean at the moment we've learned that horns are really fun and um horns make me move very fast so it's not a behavior that I'm encouraging but right now it's his stage all cows go through it like between you know when they're one two even up to three years old they're growing just like people just like dogs and cats, like they're, they're you know, got, they're growing their horns, they're getting bigger, they don't understand that them being bigger is actually, you know, they're getting bigger than me. So they swing their head around without much thought of, you know, what's going on where their horns are. Well, they'll just throw their head in your lap and their head, you know, already weighs probably like 20, 30 kilos. So it's like, oh, so... Yeah, they. I guess they were my my heart calves um, because they were so lucky. Like out of all the other hundreds that we'd rescued, they just you know they were so incredible. Their story was so incredible, and their bond is just like I. I honestly, I don't think I can capture it. It is is so beautiful. Like I constantly catch them licking, cleaning each other. If they ever can't see each other straight away, it's this low, like, moo, call out, bellow to find where the other one is. They won't go to bed without each other. They won't come back up to the house paddock without each other. Where there's one, there's always the other. So I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to, you know, witness that bond because it's a bond that is so, you know, bonds in, in dairy calves is not something that is common they're almost always broken whether it be mothers you know or or twins it doesn't matter if they're special or if they're rare you know I've I've witnessed through rescue I didn't personally foster them but through um till the cows come home triplets which is something that is almost impossible and it didn't take any thought for that farmer to say yeah come pick them up by tomorrow or they're going on the truck you know, they, they don't see that as special. They see that as, okay, well, three mouths that I don't want to feed that are going to go on the truck. So, um, yeah, I, I felt compelled to keep Missy and Bart forever together and also I just, as much as there might be the perfect adopter, I just couldn't trust that someone was going to keep them together forever and they wouldn't, you know, face that teenage stage and be like, oh, I don't know if I want cows anymore. So, yeah, they've got the next 20, 25 years, however long they live with us. And they've even forced us to move to greener pastures because 
it's not good enough for two very spoiled jerseys. They need more, um, more land and more space and, um, yeah, so. <laughs> and that was something I was going to ask you, like, about the challenges, whether it be, you know, raising your own cows or whether it be, like, as part of the organisation. I'm thinking some of those challenges are, yeah, like keeping up the feed and like the size of like paddocks and things. It's yeah, they're not they're not sort of small animals, obviously. So there's kind of some complexities involved with that. Yeah, absolutely. I guess personally, you know, it's been quite an adjustment because I have been so accustomed to calves. So I've it's like a, you know, for me, I just straight away I know how to react, whether they're sick, I can, you know, tell what's going on. Usually I can tell from, you know, symptoms, why they're sick, all of that. Growing cows, it's like a different ball game. Like they, yeah, they, they, there is a lot of challenges to get used to, but it's something that, you know, now that I've got my head around it, I definitely feel much more settled in owning growing cows. But there were a few times there where, you know, I was trying to find the right hay and the right amount to feed them. And there aren't a lot of resources out there that support people who want to own cows as pets. It just, it just doesn't exist. You know, you can find how to fatten up a cow, but the end result is always to then get the best price at the market, which is, you know, first of all, it doesn't keep the animal's health in mind. It's literally just to get the best price for that farmer. So it's not a resource that I would ever feel comfortable using. And even with dairy, it's how to get the best, the most milk out of your dairy cow. Yeah, I definitely found that um, it was something that I had to build myself with Crystal, who also has three very loved bovines. She's team Frisian and I'm team Jersey. <laughs> so we kind of at opposite ends. Hers are, as we like to call them, rhinoceroses. They are absolutely ridiculously huge. Like she looks like a mosquito compared to them. <laughs> and my little fat like hobbit jerseys, like, yeah, we're opposite ends. But um, once I got my head around that, I think um, that's why I guess I'm, I, I love being involved with companion cows because I'm doing all the learning and I'm investing all of that energy back into, you know, our website so that people who own cows, they don't necessarily have to have adopted cows through us. They could be on the other side of the world, that there's a resource there that supports people to keep cows as pets because once you've got your head around it, they're really low maintenance, easy animals. Like they, you know, they want to be where you are. They're not actively looking for ways to get off your property and run away from you. Like they they are incredibly social animals. So I think now we're looking, you know, I feel like we've got over most of the hurdles and Missy and Bart have both individually given me scares where I'm sobbing thinking they're going to die and the latest one was a $400 vet bill and Missy had a tummy ache. So I'm probably the extreme end of the scale when it comes to animal cow parents. But, yeah, I, I think that hopefully we're past the challenges. I guess with with the charity in mind, there are a lot of challenges, but I guess they're challenges that, you know, Crystal and I together are where we rely on each other so much to push through them and, you know, find a solution. I guess the biggest challenge right now, which not many people would be aware of, is 
that in Australia the cattle prices are really, really, really awful, like to the point where people are constantly giving away calves for free. It doesn't matter if they're beef calves, dairy calves, cross, they're, you know, the calls, the calls for help are everywhere at the moment because people, there's no money. People don't want to keep them. They don't want to feed them. They don't want to invest time in them. And that's heartbreaking because that's those times when there isn't money in the industry is when those calves have the hardest time. It's when people don't want to invest energy or money into them. There's no money, there's no gain for them, which is awful because, you know, I would never look at an animal and say, how can I get the most money? But that is, that is their mindset. How can we get the most money from this? And there's no incentive now. So therefore these, you know, these calves, these animals are potentially going without necessary vet care or medication, because why would we waste money on an animal that doesn't need it? So you know, we're getting so many calls for help. And as a as a charity that, you know, we do have foster stations all over Australia, but there is also a point when we can't take in anymore. And, you know, there's a point when there's no adopters who want to take on calves. And that's something that we're definitely, you know, learning along the way. And it's a challenge that we're trying to, I guess, find the best way to overcome because, you know, we need to, you know, find a, a happy medium where we can find beautiful, loving homes for people who really, you know, appreciate them for their story, not for what they can offer us, but simply just for existing as, you know, companion cows and having the personalities to to be, as I affectionately call them, lawn mooers or mm-hmm you know, like me, like where you're obsessed, which there aren't many people, but, you know, there are a few. And, yeah, so I guess that's probably the biggest challenge that we, you know, try to do what we can to overcome and we're consistently learning. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when we're not learning and growing from mistakes or from, you know, step-ups, but we will continue to do anything we can to spread awareness, to rescue, to rehabilitate, whatever we can, you know, to for calves, for their mothers, for their babies. Um, yeah, it's it's really what we're driven by. And in terms of, I guess, like, yeah, like hopes for the future, whether it be or, or things that you're working on, whether it be personally, like you said, you're looking at moving, um, but then is there anything, you know, with companion cows that, yeah, there's sort of things you're working towards that you would like to do or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean like there is no limit I guess to the things that we would like to achieve I I think the the one thing that is closest to Crystal in my heart is to really really get that advocacy get that story out there because it is a story that people when they hear it they there is a a real emotional trigger there that they a lot of people who didn't realize they're quite shocked by it. They're quite shocked that, you know, this is something they weren't aware of, or they didn't realize how bad it was. And a lot of people do then start making connections and then it starts them on a journey to, you know, explore documentaries like milk to, you know, look at alternatives to try different things, you know, to introduce almond milk to try, you know, a a coconut vegan yogurt, um, 
So I guess that's something that we really want to focus on and hopefully um, raise more awareness of and get the message out there. That's that's the biggest thing when it comes to companion cows and also saving as many calves as we can and finding beautiful homes for them. Um, personally, I um, I'm yeah looking to move to hopefully um, some bigger property and uh, rescue some retired dairy mothers. That's something that's incredibly close to my heart because you know these mothers are subjected to absolute horrendous cruelty in you know the six or nine years that they're allowed to live which is you know it's not even half of their natural lifespan and that could be six you know six or eight babies that they have within their life every year they never really get an opportunity to meet or to you know to feed to to care for and nurture and at the end of their life, after giving everything they can, all of the milk that was intended for their babies, they are classified as, you know, a waste product. They have nothing left to give. They're called spent cows. Their bodies are spent. They've lost weight. They've, you know, they've got arthritis from being on milking floors for their whole lives. That to me is a huge personal um, passion, I guess, that I really want to be in you know a space to be able to bring some in to give them an opportunity which is quite a difficult space because not many farmers are willing um to to part with them they would rather see them go to the meatworks um because as a farmer once said to me darling you don't want them they're they're rubbish like they've got nothing to give you and no matter how I tried to put it to him, he couldn't understand that I didn't need anything from them. I wanted to give them something. I wanted to give them a life, give them the freedom that they deserved, you know, during their entire life. And even the gift, if if there was the opportunity of their their calf, you know, their last calf before they're, they're sent off to the meatworks, which unfortunately for most dairy cows is um, is the doggers, which is dog food. So yeah, that's that's hopefully a space that I I'll be going into once we move to bigger property, and of course I'll continue to foster and take on any animal that needs help, and yeah, do whatever I can to you know help animals. I think that's something to note is that even though you are a bovine lover, you recently took on a few lambs, didn't you? <laughs> Yes, I did. I can't help myself, honestly. I once I get a call, yeah, I'm in my car before I've even like fully committed to how am I going to do this? Like, you know, okay, great. We've got two lambs. Oh, yeah, I don't have any bottles. I don't have any like, you know, anything to feed them. So, um, yeah, we've got two lambs, um, Zoe, who's a little girl, and as we affectionately call him, Gordon Ramsay, because he is an absolute machine. Like he's got, he's a gut, he eats everything. And he has given me so many heart attacks. I'm like immune to it in regards to how giant his belly can get, because it literally can turn into like a basketball on either side. And I just, I started, you know, giving him bicarb to help it go down. And now I'm just like, you know what? you'll be fine. And every morning he's at the gate waiting to be fed. So yeah, they're hopefully going to be, if they all, 
live in Kumbaya will be paddock companions for Missy and Bart and um yeah once we move they can you know have a, a life where they just get to be very very loved fluffy sheep <laughs> get treats and yeah that's that's all I need them for <laughs> And so in terms of like if people want to be able to support you and companion cows, like what's the best, what are some of the ways that, yeah, people can do that? Yeah, so um, I guess, you know, as much as, as donating is important, I I would be even more thrilled, you know, to see people, you know, getting in there and engaging and reading the the stories that we're sharing and making connections and, you know, hopefully it starts a conversation at the dinner table to say like, oh, you know, I actually read something really important. I read a story about a calf who, you know, was taken from a dairy farm and, you know, to be able to start a conversation that then maybe triggers some connections in people to realise that, you know, these are essentially babies without mothers and their mothers don't have the choice, that they, they don't have the opportunity to be rescued because they are, they still have value to the farmers and they won't part with them while they have value. Yeah, I hope that, you know, people do make connections from our posts. But, yeah, if you're able to, to, to share them, to like them, to engage in conversation, um, ask questions, I really hope as well that we've, we've got a new resource. Um, as you said earlier, it's an ebook, How to Ditch Dairy for Good. So it's something that Crystal and I, you know, we literally went through and picked every kind of vegan alternative that we personally love. So the best ice creams, the best vegan cheeses, the best vegan milks, yogurts, as well as like incorporating the story of why it's so important to make the switch and, you know, the animals that you can directly impact um, by making the switch. So yeah, I hope that that there are some resources that people find um, informative and helpful and, yeah. Yeah. And I, I really want to say it's a credit to you, Phoebe. Like, you know, I'm sure that over the years you've had, you know, you've seen a lot of suffering and, you know, I'm sure there's been times where you've felt sort of a lot of despair, but you seem to be still so positive and like, and really obviously trying to work to make a difference. So, I guess, yeah, like how do you how do you try and remain kind of positive and, and continue to push forward when sometimes things can just seem so overwhelming? Yeah. I mean, you know, it is I guess it is it is a daily struggle and it's something that you have to work on personally to really push through and to realize that at the end of the day, you might be the only person in the room who is standing up and saying something, who is making a conscious choice to to rescue a life that you know one person sees that has no value and you see that has so much value so I'd have to say a huge part is obviously the animals themselves like you as much as you know there is so many awful awful stories that I've encountered and rescues that literally you know the the absolute lack of care and empathy has put them in a position where they are on the brink of death, you know, you've really just got to change your mindset in saying, okay, well, how can I change this? I want to change this story for them. I want them to have an opportunity at life. Or at the very least, if they do pass away, I'm acknowledging that they have a name. 
They're going to be, you know, buried on my property. They're going to be remembered by me. It might not be, no one else might know them. No one else might have met them, but I will make sure that their story lives on through, you know, the the calves that do survive, the calves that do go on to live full lives because, you know, they're never forgotten, I guess, and that pushes me forward because there isn't enough life to, you know, there's not enough time in life to, to accomplish all the things that I want to do. And I guess I just have to keep moving forward for them because they are my biggest, my biggest inspiration and my biggest motivator to um, keep, keep going forward. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What you, you've obviously done this for years now, and I'm sure you've had like some really great moments and some really sad moments, but obviously, you know, you continue to push forward because ultimately you want to do everything you can for them. So thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Is there anything that we might've missed that you did want to mention? Like, I don't want to miss anything. I know there's probably a lot to your story, but. I don't think so. I think that's probably everything. I am. Um, yeah. I, I think you captured everything beautifully. Amazing. You know, it was so good to hear. And like I said, I knew there was going to be things that I didn't know about you. I never knew that you volunteered at Alan Pussycat. So that was huge. That was a big part of your story that I didn't even know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, if people wanted to reach out, if they had any questions, like I'm sure, especially if they're cow related questions, I'm sure you'd be happy to answer those. What's the best way for people to do that? You're more than welcome to reach out to me via Instagram, but I'd probably recommend to come through companion cows. So we're a very, very small team. So you'll probably either get me or Crystal anyway. Um, if you send us a message. Yeah. So I would definitely reach out. And if you have any questions, you know, bovine related, of course, we will do everything in our power to help, even if you are on the other side of the world. Awesome. Yeah. I'll link it all in the show notes so that people can reach out to you. Obviously the website as well, like you're saying, there's some good resources on there. So thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing Missy and Bart grow up and potentially sounds like maybe the two lambs as well. Doesn't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> no, they're definitely not. <laughs> you are a sucker. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be harder and harder for you to say no, especially I'm if you get more, more land. Yeah. More land equals more animals. <laughs> Absolutely. We spent like at least seven hours redoing the fencing for the lambs. So, um, yeah, that's that's it. That's them for life. They're very lucky to have you. So thank you so much and I look forward to seeing that. So take care. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. I would love to hear from you if you've been inspired by this episode or if you have any requests for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at a kind life. Remember, be kind to your body kind to animals and kind to our planet. Take care.